uh, Randy, our minister of handouts, is in the back because we ran out of some of the handouts concerning the prayer praise sheets. So if you'll raise your mitten, he'll place one of these sheets in your hand. Not the song, but the other. Over here for Barbara, Jean here, this couple right here, this pastor and his wife right there, and then my son-in-law and daughter there. Miss Nell right here on the front. Well, our subject is giving thanks according to the will of God, and I think it goes without saying, that's just not during Thanksgiving week. I'm grateful for Thanksgiving week and all the good things, the family fellowship and the food and all of that, but giving thanks according to the will of God is so much beyond that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18 will be our focal passage. We'll also look at Ephesians 5, 20. The front page of that handout there contains just a sampling of verses taken from the Old and the New Testament concerning prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. And I, there's many, many more. I just selected enough to fill up the page there. And, uh, but in that sampling... If you read carefully through them and think about those, and I would encourage you to do that this week, it's, you know, it's just a reminder that prayer and thanksgiving are together, and thanksgiving is to be an integral part of our prayer lives without question, but I would suggest to you that thanksgiving is to be the primary part of our prayer life. Thanksgiving is to be the primary part of our prayer lives. And we'll talk about that. There's a lot of things I'd like to say about it, uh, but we would probably be here till mid-afternoon. But uh, I really believe that's the, our primary focus, and when we go to the Lord in prayer, our first thing up is to thank Him for who He is and what He's done, and there's so many things we could say about that. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us, all of us, in Christ Jesus. That's the will of God. And Ephesians 5, 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we love you, and we're grateful that we love you because you loved us. We love you. Thank you, Father, for all you orchestrated down through time to bring us safely in 
to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you for that. Today, Lord, we want to focus on thanksgiving unto thee for a few moments. And Lord, we want to do that according to your word. We want to do it, Father, in a way that we're all edified, we're all exhorted to pour out more and more our gratitude to you, Father, for all that you've done. And as always, Master, it's got to be all of you, none of me, to that end, Father, I surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Well, it's interesting that these three verses in Thessalonians by some commentators down through the years have given them a special title. And those three verses they refer to as the standing order for the church. The standing order for the church. And you think about that, that sounds reasonable. Well, cause it's, what is it? We're to uh, pray, we're to rejoice, to pray, and to thank. That's it, standing orders. And what would be a church if it did none of those things as a primary part of its ministry on a regular basis, to rejoice in the Lord, to pray without ceasing, and to give Him thanks in all things. By the way, I read this, I had not realized this before, that this uh, rejoice always, verse 16, in the Greek, in the Greek, and there is no Greek, that's the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Whereas in the English translation in the New Testament, Jesus wept is the shortest one. But in the Greek text, this one, rejoice always, is shorter there. Rejoice evermore. That means all of the time. That means consistently, day in and day out. Rejoice. <laughs> wow. Rejoice. Joy can be our constant experience. Can be our constant experience. It may not be, but it can be if our joy source is the Lord Jesus Christ. It depends on our focus. If our focus is Him and what He's already done in our lives and the fact that He's in control of all things that enter into our lives, then our joy can be consistent and constant because it's in Him. If He's our focus, our, we're confident in He's running and directing, ruling in our lives, confident that we're held securely in our salvation, knowing that He's in control of all things, the peace of God will rule in our hearts, and our joy will be unhindered by the absence of peace. Joy can be a constant part of our experience. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. And that should be our attitude, an attitude of prayer all of the time. It doesn't mean we give up our other responsibilities. We all got other things to do. So we don't abandon those things. We continue to take care of those things. We schedule regular times to be alone with the Lord, morning and night. 
morning and night, a regular time, every single solitary one of us to be alone with the Lord in prayer. We ought to have as much common sense as a, as a camel, right? What do camels do? They kneel by their master every morning, put the load on. Last thing at night, they kneel by the master, takes the load off. We ought to be in prayer in the morning before anything else. We get out and all this other stuff we've got to do, and the last thing in the evening. And everyone needs a private place to pray. Sometimes that's hard to come by. I read that Susanna Wesley, she had 18 kids, one house, kids everywhere. She'd sit in her rocking chair and pull her apron up over her head just to find a place of solace so she could pray and talk to the Lord. She just did a good job. She raised some pretty incredible kids. We need a place. You know, I live alone, so I can pray anywhere, and I do, all over my house, but I got a place. It's back here in one of the bedrooms, and there's a bunk bed back there, and I got a pillow on the floor because my old bony knees are old now, but I kneel on that pillow, <laughs> and I pray. I go to there to pray. I pray other places, but it's a, it's, there's something about having a place, and I challenge you, if you don't have a place, get a place where you could be alone with the Lord, nothing else going on, just you and him, and spend time there. I read about uh, a man going to see Dr. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, and the lady's receptionist said, well, have a seat. Dr. Spurgeon's in prayer now. He said as he sat there, he could hear Dr. Spurgeon praying away back in his study. And he prayed quite a while, and then he stopped. But his receptionist didn't motion, it's time for me to go in. So he sat there a little while longer, and he said he didn't hear anything. He said, well, you know. So he stepped to the desk, and he said, Madam, uh, could I go in to see Dr. Spurgeon now? She said, no, he's finished praying, but he's listening now. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you seriously, and I've learned this experientially, we've got to have time to talk to the Lord and listen to the Lord, and we've got to be alone to do it. Couples, you can do it together, certainly. Wayne and I pray together but you still got to have time alone to have communion with the Father. And you say, well, I don't have time before I go to work. I'll do it before you go to sleep at night. Uh, come on. You know better than that. <laughs> Besides, your day is not going to go as well. Not, your day is not going to go as well. I spent my adult life pastoring. I've been awakened at 2 o'clock in the morning by a phone call emergency and charging out to the ER and the hospitals and the cardiac wards and all this stuff. And you're trying to get there in time. Did I have my quiet time before I left? Gracious, no. But you know something? I find that the days that I slacked off, it didn't. I feel agitated. Praise God. Praise God. You will too because you get addicted to that time alone with the Lord. First thing, last thing, every single day, the rest of your earthly sojourn. And of course, we still have times of extra, I can't even say, prayer. Throughout the day, 
as the need comes. But then that's not all. You know, prayer is fellowship. Fellowship with the Lord. You can talk to him along the way. It's a matter. You don't have, don't have to have an issue. I mean, you have to have to, something, oh, I don't have anything to ask him for, so I'm not going to talk to him. That doesn't make sense. Just talk to the Lord. Share your heart. Share what you're feeling. Give him praise for what you see around as you go along. All of that together winds up meaning this, that we have continuous communion with the Father. Continuous communion with the Lord. Nothing better than that. Well, our focus, though, we're going to focus on 518 of 1 Thessalonians and 520 of Ephesians. 1 Thessalonians 518 again, it is, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you and I. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for all things. Giving thanks always for all things. Eric Hoffner said, the hardest arithmetic to master is that which enables us to count our blessings. You know, it's easy to forget for a moment to count our blessings when life gets tough, right? An ungrateful spirit, though, is evidence of one of two things in every single human being. An ungrateful spirit is evidence of one of two things. Number one, it's a prideful heart and a child of God. An unfake, ungrateful spirit in the child of God is a prideful heart, which is, by the way, a grace-preventative heart. Pride in a Christian prevents grace. That's what the Scripture says, 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Clothe yourself with humility. God resists pride in his children, but he gives grace and more grace to the humble of his children. Or, if it's not pride in a Christian, it's simply pride in a natural, unregenerate heart. person never been saved. So it's a sign of a problem, a spiritual problem in a Christian, or a real problem in a non-Christian who's never been saved, an unsaved heart. Romans 1.21 notes the downward spiral of an ungrateful, unregenerate heart. Romans 1.21, because that, when they knew God, how did they know God? From the, the creative genius that's on display all around them, the heavens declaring his handiwork and all this. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Have you ever thought about what that verse says? There's enough in the grandeur of creation to be thankful, for everyone to be thankful. Just look around. Glory to God. Look at this. The child of God, that's you and I, we ought to be easily distinguishable, easily identified wherever we are. 
in many, many ways. But one really important way is our characteristic of gratefulness, a grateful spirit. We ought to be easily identified because of our grateful spirit, an attitude of gratitude ought to be evidence in our lives. The question is consider, is your grateful spirit, my grateful spirit, is it obvious to all those around us? Do people who know you know you to be a grateful person? I remember a car wash that I used to frequent in Tyler down close to hospitals. The gentleman owned is now deceased. I used to be his pastor too. And uh, another fellow bought it out. But there's a little, uh, little small frame black lady that was a cashier there. And she worked there for years. And I don't suspect she had a lot. And I don't think she made a lot doing that. She's always dressed very nicely. And I'd say, how are you doing today? Say, oh, sir, I'm blessed. And she would talk about the blessings she had in her life. Humble, grateful, Jesus-loving, beautiful spirit. And I remember that about her today, to this day. This has been years ago. How grateful this woman was. And she had nothing much of this world's goods. But she had Jesus, and she was grateful to him. And if people have noticed your grateful spirit, have you taken time to explain the source of your gratitude? Where you got that gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, so to speak? Have you taken time? Because it's a wonderful opportunity to witness that you're grateful spirit and why. Well, a grateful spirit, it's non-seasonal and it's non-situational. And if it becomes seasonal and situational, it's not real gratitude unto the Lord, okay? It's non-seasonal and non-situational. Non-seasonal in two ways. Number one, it's non-seasonal pertaining to the calendar. Number two, it's non-seasonal pertaining to the situation, the condition we're in. It's just non-seasonal. This is what we have, gratitude toward the Lord. It's not affected by the calendar or the condition that we're in at all. One easy way to remember that is this. this. Thanksgiving and the child of God should be both non-seasonal and non-situational, okay? So if you wake up and you're not feeling gratitude, well, you think, well, wait a minute. There's no excuse for me not feeling gratefulness to the Lord. Because it's this, this, if it's non-seasonal and non-situational, you can say, well, you can't point to the situation you're in because the situation you're in is the time to be grateful. And you can't point to the season and the rush of the holidays and everything. No, that's also a time to be grateful. There's no excuse for us not to be grateful to the Lord. And everything, always, Giving thanks. Keep in mind that the Apostle Paul went through a lot of stuff, right? A lot of abuse. Ostracization from his 
Jewish, Jewish brothers beaten mercif mercifully, time without end, incarcerated. Note especially, too, that he wrote Ephesians, giving thanks always for all things unto God when he was in the Roman prison. Not like prisons are today. Hard counsel is hard, is hard to follow, you know. Hard counsel is hard to follow. But it's easier to follow if we know that our counselor is practicing what he preaches or practice what she preaches or whatever the case may be. We know that they've been through it and they're following their own counsel. Then they're a lot easier to listen to. Acts 16, you might want to turn to Acts 16. We'll go along through that. Acts 16, 16 through 34, talks about the imprisonment. And it provides some really interesting insight into our present counselor, the Apostle Paul. You get down to verse 22, you'll find that they had arrested them and they stripped off their clothing. Verse 23, they beat them with many blows and put them in prison. Verse 24, not just in prison, but high security, they fastened their feet in stocks. Remember, their bodies are wounded because they've been beaten brutally. At midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises, hymns of praise to God at midnight. Bleeding backs, probably still, wounded, likely hungry, feet in stocks, singing praise unto God. And the prisoners heard them singing praise unto God. Can you imagine what a witness he was to the prisoners? Because the other prisoners had probably been in there for a while, maybe. Maybe their backs were not bleeding, and they hadn't, maybe they'd been through some of that stuff. But they're looking at these guys, they're beaten up, beaten to a pulp, just brought in here, shoved in stocks, which most, probably most of them were not. And these dudes are in here singing praise unto God. And the prisoners are saying, what's with them? Notice then that their pain did not prevent their praise. Neither did their predicament prevent their praise, okay? Non-seasonal, non-situational. And because their pain and predicament did not prevent their praise and prayer, their faith went public. The prisoners heard them. However, <laughs> however, the prisoners weren't the only ones that heard the praise and prayer because in Acts 16, 26 is evidence that God heard their praise and prayer and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's hands were loosed. Scripture says that the Lord inhabits his praise. Apparently did that night. Now think about this. How long, how long did the Lord know 
that they'd been beaten and put in prison. How long? <laughs> Immediately, right? He knows everything is omniscient. Well, when were they set free? After they prayed and sang praises and the prisoners heard the, their witness. That's when they were set free. Job, there's an interesting line in Job 42. You know all they went through in the first part of the, the book of Job and then his three pseudo friends. Here's 42 verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave him twice what he had before. Ooh. The Lord turned his captivity when he prayed for his friends. Sometimes the Lord uses unpleasant experiences in our lives, unpleasant conditions, to witness to others the life within us. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes he uses unpleasant experiences in us personally to witness to others about the life of him in us personally. But that's not all that happened that night. Acts 16, 27 through 31. The keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prisoners' doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm. We're all here. Now, you know what's fascinating to me about that? Paul says we're all here. You know what that means? That means the rest of the prisoners didn't leave either. <laughs> I don't think I would have either. There's a glory to God. I've never been in jail like this before. Been in jail before, not like this. Got guys over here singing praise to God. The doors are open. I'm going to hang around and see what happens next. <laughs> I would have stayed right there too. Glory to God, I love this. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Don't hurt, don't hurt us that we're here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out. Now hear me. See what happened right here. Paul hadn't been sharing the gospel in there. He hadn't been going down the Roman road or whatever, you know, the verses. None of that. He was just singing praise unto his God, and the prisoners heard. And the first question that this jailer asked him, what do I do to be saved? Can you imagine what a powerful witness our lives can be just because we're grateful to God and live a life of gratitude and manifest it publicly, not for show, but for his glory's sake and for the good of whoever might be observing our lives. <laughs> and they said... Believe. Then they start to share the gospel. Believe, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake the word of the Lord unto him and to all that were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight, his straightway. And when he brought them into his home, he set meat before them and rejoiced. And rejoiced, believing with all his house. How did all that happen? In the sovereignty of God, he allowed the suffering 
of two of his servants. God allowed the suffering of two of his servants. God could have prevented the suffering of his servants. God allowed it. He used that experience of suffering for his glory, first of all. And then secondly, for the proclamation of the truth about him. Because of the way they reacted in this situation. It wouldn't have been for his glory, and it wouldn't have been for the proclamation of the truth about him if they had responded differently. They were sitting there whining, wiping their wounds, and grumbling. It's cold in here. I'm hungry. My ankles are hurting because these stocks. No glory, no witness. But they responded in the situation with praise and gratitude unto the Father. And while, while the Lord was knocking the lights out in the prison, he was turning the lights on the soul of the jailer and his family. What a fabulous thing this is, that God used that encounter to save those souls. And I guess a good question to ask ourselves at this point is this, am I are you willing to suffer if that's God's purpose for someone else to be saved? Am I willing to suffer for someone else to be saved? That's what Jesus did, wasn't it? <laughs> that's what Jesus did. He suffered that we could be saved. Can he ask me to suffer? Do I want to? No. What did he say? Lord, if this cup can be passed for me, but your will. Do I want to suffer? No. You don't want to either. But if it's the will of God for me to suffer, for someone else to be saved because of the witness in me, then I need to stop worrying about that and start praying for grace to be the witness he intends me to be in the situation. Right? Here's something to think about. If Paul and Silas had limited their praise to the good times, when would that Philippian jailer have been saved? When? And if they had not praised God in prison that night, how long would they have been in jail anyway? <laughs> you know, Wow. But things that we need to remember is this, that just because uh, we sing praise and prayer, uh, prayers of gratitude, when we're in a bad situation, it does not mean that we'll necessarily be released, delivered, healed, or whatever, just because we start praising God in that bad situation or in that difficult time. It doesn't mean that. We read about that. It has happened certainly because of that. But it does not mean that it's going to happen that way in our lives. But it might. But it might. But God may have a greater spiritual purpose in our lives personally to not deliver us at the moment. Maybe some spiritual work needs to be done in our lives. And he can see to that happening. But on the other hand, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord's not going to get glory. He's not going to get any glory out of our whining and complaining 
And you know what whining and complaining does? It doesn't do nothing to help us get well. We're not going to get better because we whine and complain. And I know I have known some people that felt better complaining about things for some weird, you know, they just feel better complaining about it. Doesn't do any good, I know, but I just like to gripe about it. Note Psalm 40, 1 through 3. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. Sounds like he spent some time there in prayer, didn't he? I waited patiently for the Lord. And he, he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the horrible pit where... The miry clay, time in the miry clay in the pit, waiting patiently for the Lord. He brought me out and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and hear and shall trust in the Lord. Many shall hear it, see, and trust. So that could be our experience, right? If we're praising God, we're grateful to God, and our gratitude to the Lord is showing non-seasonal, non-situation, and people see that, people see that, hear that, and the scripture says, trust in the Lord. Now obviously, David didn't write that when he's sitting on the palace porch. Look at verse 12. For innumerable ills have compassed me about. The next line, though, is an eye-opener. He had enemies, certainly, trying to kill him and whatever. But he said, mine iniquities have taken a hold upon me, so I'm not able to look up. They're more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. I am surrounded by evils uncountable, mine iniquities, my, my sin. I can't even look up. What's that? Conviction. Conviction. Remember the guy standing over the corner of the temple praying, beating his chest, crying out for mercy? Couldn't look up. Conviction. Here, my sin. Conviction. Be pleased, O Lord. Calling for mercy, as did the gentleman. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. We don't hear David, King David, saying, well, I certainly deserve better than this. Don't hear any of that, do we? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In essence, King David was praying the same thing the publican did in the corner of the temple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Public went home justified. David got out of the miry pit. A fellow named Westermeyer had an interesting observation about the pilgrims. He said the pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts. Seven times more graves than huts. No Americans have been more impoverished than those who 
first came, nevertheless, they set aside a day of thanksgiving, which we celebrate this week. So what can we say about non-seasonal and non-situational prayer and praise? It is uniquely and specifically God-exalting. That's it. Non-seasonal, non-situational praise and prayer gratitude is uniquely God-exalting. Job. Remember what Satan told God concerning Job? You may want to turn there if you want to. You don't have to. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But God... You put forth your hand now and touch all he hath, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all they have is in thy hands, thy power, only not on him, don't put forth thy hands of war. Did that later. So Satan went forth in the presence of the Lord to afflict Job, and he did. Lost, him, lost everything he had. Could God, could God have taken everything Job had without Satan's help? Of course. Why did God allow Satan to do that? Well, I can only suggest possible reasons. One would be to bring himself glory. But other thing is to teach Satan what a real saint of God looked like and how he'd behave in adversity. Notice the response of Job. Now, this is on the darkest day of this guy's life, Okay. The darkest day of his life. He's lost everything except one wife. <laughs> that was not always a blessing because she's the one that told him to curse God and die after a while. Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Isn't that incredible? Satan did all the dirty work and he didn't even get honorable mention. <laughs> he never is mentioned by Job. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, we've talked about two possible reasons why God allows Satan to do that. But there's another couple of reasons too. I believe in Job uh, 42, 5 and 6 makes it clear. Job, after this incredible encounter and all this sojourn listening to his three friends, he said this to God, I have heard of thee by the hearing of my ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. There's your two more reasons right there, ladies and gentlemen. Job needed a clearer understanding of who God and his sovereign holiness was. And secondly, he needed a clearer understanding of himself before that holy God. 
I repent. True non-seasonal and non-situational gratitude and praise is never going to be self-focused. It's not going to be situation-focused. But it's always going to be God-focused. Always. That's right. It's so, isn't it? Non-seasonal, non-situational. Genuine praise and thanksgiving starts with a contemplation of who he is and what he's done for us already in Christ. And I submit to you that contemplating that alone and naming your praises before God the Father for all of that that you've already received in him will fill up your prayer time. Just a confrontation of all of that and giving gratitude for the Father for all he's done. Chosen for the foundation of earth. Brought to faith in Christ in time. All of these things. Wow, so much to give gratitude and praise to the Father for. General Stonewall Jackson is an excellent example of someone who contemplated his God. In 1862, during the midst of the Civil War, General Jackson wrote his wife, who was at home, seriously ill. He said, I trust you and all that I have in the hands of an ever-kind providence, knowing that all things work together for the good of his people. So live that your sufferings may be sanctified to you. Remember that our light afflictions which are but for a moment, work out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. On May the 2nd, 1863, the seemingly at that time uh, invincible Confederate Army won a tremendous victory at Chancellorville. To offset that, though, the victory that affect the setback was General Jackson lost his left arm. The next day, when he was visited by Chaplain Lacey, General Jackson remarked, You see me severely wounded, and dep- but not depressed. You see me severely wounded, Chaplain, but not depressed. I am sure that my Heavenly Father designs his affliction for my good, and I am perfectly satisfied that either in this life or in the next which is to come, I shall discover that what is now regarded as a calamity is a blessing. If it were in my power to replace my arm, I would not dare do it unless I knew for certain it was the will of God for me to do it. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Irvin Luster said, you don't learn to praise and express gratitude in a day especially if you've been complaining all your life. (laughs) But habits have to be developed. He said, you know, begin today, and then again tomorrow, thanking God and praising God, thanking God and praising God, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And he said, then over time, you can develop that habit. It becomes part of you, continual praise. So just in case that any of us have had more success at complaining than praising, maybe this sheet on the back will help. Praise and prayer sheet. 
guidelines for you. So remember that. James 1.17, every good gift comes down from the Father from above, in whom there's no barrenness or shadow of turning. And that Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good who love God and call according to His purpose. Then we determine to praise down the left side of the sheet before we pray down the right side of the sheet. What does the scripture say? Enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving. So we go to the Lord in the morning in our private, secluded prayer closet place, whatever it is. First thing is we begin to thank God and praise him for his blessings upon our lives. And we praise him down through a season of that. And then we can get over to the right side and say, Lord, here's what's bugging me today. <laughs> now notice the right side's shorter than the left side. That's intentional. <laughs> That's intentional because I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, you haven't got enough problems to line up with the blessings you've already received from the Lord. The blessing list is too long. But you can still go before the Father who loves you, gave his son for you, that you might have life eternally with him and say, Lord, this stuff is bugging me. But Lord, I'm grateful there's not more stuff bugging me. So you can even work in gratitude on the right side as you go along. And should you encounter someone that's complaining, you might gently ask, did you pray down the praise side of your sheet today first? Be prepared uh, <laughs> for the outcome of that. But this is it, ladies and gentlemen. It is the will of God that we give thanks to him for all things always because nothing can come to you except what he allows. It doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say all things that feel good. But God causes all things to work together for good for those of us who are called according to his purpose. May God give us grace to be people filled with gratitude. Not to whine or complain, but say, Lord, we thank you. Maybe when you encounter someone, let me tell you what the Lord has done this week in my life. Let me share with you what the Lord has done. Express our gratitude, not for show, not engineer, trying to engineer some witnessing circumstance, situation. But because we love God and our hearts are filled with gratitude unto him. And we do love you, Father. We love you, Lord. We love you. And we're so grateful, Father, that you loved us first. And you brought us safely into the fold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we abide in thee, thee in us. And so shall we ever be throughout all our earthly sojourn. As David said, goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life. By your ordination, you're ordaining that, Lord. Goodness and mercy following us. And then that day, we would step on heaven's shore to live in your presence throughout eternity. We thank you and praise you for every solitary blessing, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.